you know, it's mostly because. Go, go ahead, Jen. Got it. it. You know, again, mostly it's because if I have clients who need to speak with me and that conflicts and there are hard conflicts, you know, again, it's that choice. Mm-hmm. It'd be tough sometimes, but I try to make sh- things carve out um, so that I don't have those conflicts. But yeah, Good. well, I, I certainly appreciate you being here for this one. Uh, and as you and I spoke of this week, uh, I want to start creating some information for our ecosystem about inflammation and the diet relatedness of it. And so I thought today would be a good time to do a little bit of a survey. And I found what I think is a good position paper for that. And I know there are several very distinct places we can go in the next couple of weeks. And as just a little bit of background for those who may wonder why we're doing this specifically, uh, Dr. Souders, who is our medical director, is friends with Dr. David Hanscom, who is an orthopedic spine surgeon, who for the last 15 or so years has really focused his career on uh, neuroplasticity and the brain change, the, the neural mechanisms of pain interpretation, pain transmission, and how to mitigate that pain from a physiological standpoint, not necessarily psychological, although they obviously impact each other greatly. And so getting to know David a little bit, uh, we are kind of associating in some ways, bridging some gaps between our companies because one of his pillars of how to do that, which is to help mitigate the symptoms of and the actual processes of pain and chronic disease is through nutrition. And that's just a gap in his expertise. So all the other things he does extremely well, he's invited us to help him uh, fill in some of those areas where his content just may have some deficit. So you'll see a little bit more of this because it's it's so incredibly important. We often, as I told Dr. Souders and Dr. Hanscom this week, from a commercial standpoint in our company, we're focused on helping clients, customers do what they want to do, which is to typically feel better and through the mechanistic losing of body fat, improve their health, improve their energy, gain more function, vitality. All of those things are the benefits of weight loss, but we don't necessarily talk a lot about the underlying causes of disease and the inflammatory process that that you know drives some of that that malady. So um, it, it's really interesting uh, and, and fun to do because it really gets at some of the more serious aspects that we all benefit from when we lose weight, eat better, move more. So that's, that's the title here, uh, a fulcrum of pain, disease, and death. And this uh, comes from South Korea and this particular uh, medical center uh, is is doing some work on obesity, inflammation, diet, very exactly related to what we're doing. Uh, they're doing it from the space of pediatric gastroenterology, uh, hepatology. Is that how you say that? Um, I think so. And let me see if there's anything else. I wanted to note that I thought it was pretty recent. Where was the date on that? Uh, oh, 2013. So let me get right into the premise. And a lot of this today, as I said, is going to be on the educational side. This is not an actual study or meta-analysis, though they did cite almost 100 uh, pieces of research. 
and they they pulled it together in in a couple categories three that that I think are important. So adipose tissue in this this I I hope this blows your mind a little bit. It's it's something that I, I guess I had just learned and forgot or had never considered that important until I read it. But adipose tissue, the main feature of obesity was considered as an inert tissue. Maybe that's how I learned it. Uh, mainly devoted to energy storage. However, it is now recognized as an active tissue in the regulation of physiological and pathological processes, including immunity and inflammation. And here in a minute, you're going to see they even consider it now an organ system. So collectively, all of your body fat, uh, instead of just thinking of these adipose cells, which are amazing to look at under a microscope and three-dimensionally, uh, you know, as an integrated actual organ system. Over the last decades, adipose tissue has been identified as a metabolically dynamic endocrine organ and an important source of several hormones, cytokines, chemokines, growth factors, and complement proteins. These substances play a central role in whole body homeostasis by influencing a variety of biological and physiological processes. They are, they are control of food intake, energy balance, insulin action, lipid and glucose metabolism, angiogenesis and vascular remodeling, blood pressure and coagulation. So again, just pause for a second and consider that all of those processes in your body are centered in and integrated in adipose tissue, in body fat. It's not just these empty vessels of storing oil or triglycerides. So we're going to get into, a, I'm not going to get into a ton of detail about those different types of chemicals and factors, but I will mention a couple because you'll recognize them. Previous studies have reviewed the role of diet, vegetable and fruit rich uh, and dietary factors on inflammatory state and its relationship to obesity. And you see, they mentioned some things like Mediterranean. Uh, three major aspects of previous findings will be reviewed in this article. First, we consider adipose tissue as a major source of bioactive substances related to obesity and inflammation. Second, we examine obesity as a condition of chronic low-grade inflammation. And finally, we consider dietary factors that affect inflammation related to obesity. Uh, I, I just happened today when I was making this post uh, on Instagram, I saw the the post that was immediately you know, in my face was from Alan Aragon. And he is, um, I guess you'd call him a researcher. He's at least a commentator slash influencer in our nutrition space. And uh, he was he was making a comment or he made a post and, and he called it, you know, kind of the chicken or egg debate between metabolic syndrome, type two diabetes, just that, that enslaving amount of hunger and cravings you can get with Un unstable uh, blood sugar and so forth and and obesity and he he was making the point that it's the state of obesity that drives the former it's not that you have these things that just arise and therefore they cause obesity and and that's a really important distinction that you're going to see in here as we go through some of the macronutrients and some of the some of the ways that these researchers just synthesize this, and they readily admit, and this was 2013, that there are some theories that are still up in the air about inflammation. Uh, I mentioned in my post that C-reactive protein is one biomarker that physicians commonly use to, to kind of measure that in your blood panels, but there are several others. There there are big considerations in 
you know, what can that really affect? You know, what's happening with this low grade inflammation or spikes in inflammation? You know, how far does it go in epigenetic signaling that may create disease processes that just wouldn't have happened otherwise? So, so keep in mind that this is very investigatory. Um, is, is it? I'm having trouble with my my syntax today. Uh, investigatory. I feel like I'm missing a syllable there. But um, previous studies have reviewed the role of diets, as I said, and dietary factors. And and I want to go through these things in in a, a bit of a sequence, kind of as they flowed through. Because when we talk about macronutrients. Um, I think it's a mistake to think of them as kind of an island unto themselves and, oh, we should eat less of this and more of this. This is bad. This is not. But there are some clear distinctions in their individual role with inflammation. And then collectively, as Alan would have said, the fact that just together in too many calories with maybe skewing too far in one direction, too high of fat intake, et cetera that causes obesity and then that therefore causes the uh, the inflammation. So adipose tissue has been recognized as a heterogeneous tissue composed of several cell types. Um, and, and just going through, again, look look at, instead of thinking it of as just an, an adipose cell, all these other types of cells included in adipose tissue, including lymphocytes, macrophages, which are part of your immune system. And when adipocytes increase their number, hypoplasia, hyperplasia, and size, hypertrophy, uh, a various, cyto various cytokines, I think there's some translation things here from the Korean, uh, are secreted and contribute to an inflammatory process. The representative adipose, uh, I'm going to show that graph here in a little bit, a couple slides later. But, but as these adipocytes, th those are the ones that actually store the body fat or the triglycerides, as we would think of it, increase in number, which uh, is a little bit, um, I would say, controversial in the fact that some people don't think that happens. Uh, it has been shown to happen, of, of course, uh, as soon as you're born, it's, you know, as your body's developing and you're in these massive states of anabolism and then through puberty, and then in times of rapid fat gain, if you ever have gained weight very, very quickly, then you can actually increase the number of body fat cells. But of course, the size of them is what uh, is is an issue with most of us who gain or lose weight. Uh, but then these various cytokines, which are pro-inflammatory, are secreted and contribute to the inflammatory process throughout your whole body systemically. So a couple of things I wanted to mention before we get into these individual pathways. So adipose, th this this actually didn't come from the article. So I, I cited it down here. I actually put this as a little note to myself to look up later because I think this is actually a, a pretty good study to look at. Uh, comes from this study called the complex role of adipokines and obesity, inflammation, and autoimmunity. So adipose is a primary storage site, energy storage site in the body in the form of neutral triglycerides. Again, it is also an endocrine organ that secretes various cytokines, chemokines, and hormonal factors, or adipokines, that regulate diverse processes, including feeding behavior and immunity. So we know, for example, leptin is one of these factors, these adipokines, and that, to a large degree, controls our hunger. So based on whether triglycerides are being actively stored through the process, perhaps of insulin or, or retrieved, that changes leptin levels, and that, of course, changes hunger. To date, and this is what's interesting, more than 600 adipokines have been identified 
not including fatty acids and other metabolites. So this is an entire field uh, of study, I, I think, that's really going to create some interesting information in, in the very near future. So um, again, I'm not going to go through all of these, but I just want you to see one of the tables they provided and focus a little bit over here to the right. Response to obesity, because as I said, it's it, it has more to do with your body composition, with your state of obesity as to how much inflammation you're actually going to have in your body. Not, for example, if somebody's super lean and healthy, Kevin Brunacini, you know, at 11% body fat and he's exercising every day, he eats a donut. You're not going to see a massive systemic increase in inflammation. You'll see a little acute response uh, if and maybe even not that much if he's disposing of that glucose in those fatty acids quickly, but j just to see the response to actual obesity. So clinical obesity, the state of your body composition. So things like uh, leptin, um, where of course regulates food intake and energy expenditure. So this response to obesity, um, vascular endothelial growth factor, transforming growth factor. A lot of these have to do with, with um, not normal, uh, just systemic hypertrophy in your body or, um, gosh, what am I trying to think of? Uh, anabolism. And so a lot of times, for example, when, if you get into disease processes like, like PCOS, you see a lot of these types of hormones and chemical factors are increasing. Uh, and that's, again, as a response to obesity, which is creating inflammation. So this, this is nothing that telling. It just kind of shows the directions or, or some of the responsibilities within the metabolically active organ system, which is um, the, you know, body fat itself, the, the, the adipose tissue, uh, this shows a diagram of adipokines released from adipocytes. So anti-inflammatory cytokines that decrease inflammation, if, if body fat is actually going down, if we're in this retrieval process, which is catabolic, we're actually losing body fat, then you actually get anti-inflammatory cytokines. Your health starts improving instantly by these chemical messengers. And then pro-inflammatory cytokines on the other side that increase inflammation. Again, uh, over here, the hormones that affect energy metabolism like leptin, growth factors, et cetera. Uh, this, is a, this is a very nice little graphic. I must include it because it doesn't really tell us much, but it does show uh, how this even affects immunity because a lot of these, these chemical factors related to inflammation are directly going to overstimulate or understimulate our immunity. And you can be malnourished. You can be underweight. You're not getting enough of the right nutrients, macro and micro, and you can actually suppress your immune system, of course, and that increases your susceptibility to infection. And then on the other side, I think that just helps to juxtapose the fact that when we are overweight and overfed, then our immune systems are actually hyperactive and we are susceptible to inflammatory disease. So we're, we're catching those epigenetic signals that actually turn on some disease that may not be there. I actually uh, listened to a couple of podcasts in preparation for this as well. And, and I believe now uh, something like three out of five 
deaths are attributed to preventable inflammatory disease. So things that just would not have been triggered in our bodies had we not been overweight. And it's easy to think of that as yes, heart disease, yes, stroke and so forth. But you know, there are other other disease processes there that are now being attributed to just the state of being overweight. So now we're going to get into some of the, the mechanisms, and this is some of the controversy. And I one of the podcasts I just finished listening to before this uh, kind of infuriated me. So I'm, I'm going to try and be careful and not spend too much time talking about it just out of that state of mind. Uh, but this, this particular review, this article, this position paper cited a couple large studies that admittedly were just associative and they would say, you know, Hey, people who eat a large amount of carbs with a preponderance of those carbs and calories being from sugar, they tend to have these disease states. They tend to have higher inflammatory markers. They tend to die of these inflammatory diseases. And yet, even after all of that, which is very 90s-ish, 2000-ish kind of information in the pop culture of nutrition, at the very, very end, they said, also, other large observational studies have shown a positive association between high glycemic index and glycemic low diet inflammatory markers. However, almost kind of buried in the fine print, intervention studies could not convincingly support this association. And as I showed you guys in a, in a research review about sugar, specifically like quality issues of sugar, fat, et cetera, this, this theory, the insulin model has really been turned upside down. Uh, in just the last few years. And, and it's worth understanding that, yes, if all you eat is sugar, and I'm just talking about like just boxes of Lucky Charms and all you eat is sugar, 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 uh, it's not the greatest thing for you, but all of the associative correlative things that you could point to as that being indicated as a direct factor in ill health still comes down to obesity. If you eat high, high sugar diets and you still maintain a, a lot of movement, a lot of activity, you're, you're disposing of that glucose readily. It's absolutely not as impactful as a high saturated fat diet or just being obese. And so, you know, you, you have to look at a lot of current research to realize that the, the first rule of science, correlation doesn't equal causation, was really misapplied in the 80s, 90s, and maybe early 2000s when it comes to sugar and the glycemic index and the zone diet and all those things really kind of, um, you know, hit hard on. And, and I want to I want to mention that podcast real quick. Um, I'll move over to this slide. Because this this is a person who has a best-selling book. And it's all about carbohydrates being evil. Carbs are the bad guy. And this person has all of these hacks and has a master's degree in a tangent field, not any kind of nutrition. And what I when I mentioned that I was kind of infuriated is because it's clear anybody who knows anything about nutrition and would listen to this podcast, half of what this person said was just wrong, just flat out absolutely wrong, counter to everything we know. And the other half that was correct was just incredibly rigid and misapplied. Uh, but here's what makes this person kind of a current influencer, and this is to our coaches watching, good or bad, take this for what you will. 
somebody can be that wrong and be highly influential because this person is just incredibly dogmatic. This is how it works. And you will die if you do this. And you've got to eat your foods exactly like this. And if you do, you'll look amazing like me. You'll be a movie star. And it's just, you know, that's the part that that sickens me a bit. But at the same time, I also have degrees in social science and social psychology. And I know how the psychology of persuasion and influence works. And so I got to say, that's pretty pretty smart person. Like, that's a grifter who's making a lot of money um, and clearly is wrong. And probably doesn't think he or she is wrong, but has just made up all of these stories to to sell things and it works. So all of that to say, just be careful who you listen to. And even when you are looking at research like this, I'm talking about entire bodies of research that was misinterpreted for decades. And now, though it still has a role, it's not the dominant role at all. So let me move on real quick. High fat diets cause excessive body fat accumulation and impairs the immune system. Uh, a number of, of different uh, fatty acids, including polyunsaturated fatty acids, saturated and trans fatty acids have been studied for their their effects on inflammatory status. And this was this goes back a couple months when we did a research review on fats. But another thing that probably from about the same era that was kind of misapplied was that Omega-6s really were the bad boys for a while. Canola oil, soybean oil, things that are prevalent because they're so cheap and, and um, prolific in foods that we eat, you know, processed foods. Um, it's not that they're horrible. Trans fats, uh, those kind of things, you know, those are obviously bad at what they do molecularly in the body to epithelial cells, ep the line, not epithelial cells, but the, the lining of cells and so forth. Um, but they're just, they're just nothing good. And so when you get omega-3 fatty acids and things that have positive anti-inflammatory, um, effects, then you, you really want to focus there. But again, it just, a, another place where scientists or interpreters of science just, just kind of focused on the wrong end of the horse. Uh, but what we do know is the, you know, if you compare high carb diets to high fat diets with, with that kind of mechanistic study. Not who is more or less obese, not it's just literally comparing carbs to fat and what happens in the body, what happens even with inflammation. It is a high fat diet that does all of the bad stuff, unless it's a high fat diet with almost exclusively all omega 3s. So you're eating salmon and olive oil and avocado and things like that, um, which you just don't see too many people struggling with obesity who is selecting fat. Uh, sources from from those those places. Uh, so, in intervention study, uh, also report that fish oil supplementation uh, decreased blood levels of C-reactive protein and blah blah blah. Again, they're just kind of going through the fact that it's trans saturated fats that are are the problem. Uh, they they did isolate out fruit and vegetables, which I thought was nice. They didn't just you know use carbs alone. Many cross-sectional studies and some observational studies have reported an inverse association between a high amount of vegetables and fruit consumption, either in combination or alone, uh, meaning that because of the fiber, because of the flavonoids, the phytochemicals, those kind of things, uh, you know, these are actually anti-inflammatory. Uh, you know, some people talk about the pH of that and how it changes your body, which may have some impact. Um, but, uh, you know, a big 
check mark in the box of being anti-inflammatory. I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, so let me read their conclusion real quick, and then I want to go back to and invite some of our, our guests here to, to speak on this as well, because I really want to get down to some, uh, not just application points, because I think those are obvious, but I want to I want to really speak about what we do and what we do not know about inflammation in the body, just chronic systemic inflammation. What is it? How can we control it? What does it really do? So studies have conclusively shown that adipose tissue is an endocrine organ that plays a critical role on the homeostasis of immunity. That alone, that that should be worth your price of admission right there to think of your your whole collective body fat as an, an endocrine organ that is important in immunity, not just you know how you look aesthetically. An overload of nutrients induces obesity, o overload of calories, basically macronutrients, uh, which is a which is a state of chronic low grade inflammation or causes it. Again, I really think there are some interpretation issues here, language wise. An optimum nutrition is thus plays. There you go. Uh, an essential role in immunity. A healthy or prudential prudent diet with appropriate glycemic index, glycemic load, uh, polyunsaturated fats, vitamins, minerals, flavonoids, uh, with low amounts of trans and saturated fats is beneficial. The interaction of diet nutrients with inflammation, as well as the role of gene polymorphisms on inflammatory markers require much greater exploration. So again, I, I want to mention again that there is a lot that is being theorized mechanistically uh, about how this even happens. So, you know, what is what are the chemical pathways that lead to a body composition state or a certain food intake that causes this inflammatory response? And then what does it actually do in the body? Um, why would that make my chronic pain in my knees hurt more or my neck? Or why would that increase my risk of, uh, you know, cancer or something else? So let me actually bring in or ask, give permission to, People like Dr. Kevin Brunacini and, oops, screen sharing has stopped. Zoom did something weird here. You guys are all still still there, right? Yep. Okay. <laughs> so, so Jen, Kevin, Don, Amy, anybody who has some good information to share about this, I would love to hear it. I'll go. <laughs> okay, jump on in. So, you know, it's interesting because I always tell, you know, patients, clients, everybody that, you know, fat is an organ and it's something that most people don't really think about when they think about fat storage. But really, you know, for me, when I look at someone who's maybe struggling with something, looking at the toxic load that they carry, you know, you have to take into account how much extra fat they have as well, because fat is ultimately a storage hormone for good and for bad. So things like toxic chemicals, even household exposure to cleaning products, plastics, like microplastics, even medication. You know, when I talk to people about, you know, managing anesthesia, you know, those effects, a lot of these drugs that are given are um, fat soluble. So they are stored in the fat. So the effects can be elongated um, and have some, like a little bit of a longer recovery time because they are stored in the fat. So with weight loss, you know, going back to like obese people that are losing weight, you have to think like if you're rapidly exploding the cell walls of all this adipose tissue, everything that's stored inside that cell is being flooded into your system as well. So making sure that you're working on phase one and phase two detox before you really start aggressively losing weight 
I think is really important. It concerns me with people who are using things like Ozempic now that are, you know, really rapidly losing weight and probably not in a way that they're also managing their intake in a healthy way. So they're not supporting those functions in their body. And they're just really rapidly losing weight and really just dumping all of this junk into their systems really rapidly. So one of the things, um, Amy, that I actually have a question about is uh, when I talk to clients about hyperplasia and the fact that I have read that a, a an average human can have anywhere from 15 billion to let's say 150 billion adipose cells. And a lot of that has to do with were you overweight as an infant or through puberty? Like, you know, I, I gained a lot of body fat and became very chubby as a, as a pubescent kid. So I, I would say just, just for the sake of the story that let's, I have more body fat cells. And so now you have more receptors there to, you know, create body fat storage and so forth. And, and you have to, when you're talking about the hormones that unlock triglycerides, whether it's the adrenaline type hormones or glucagon, you have, you know, more of these receptor sites that are going to be missed in that targeting. And so it becomes a little bit tougher uh, and I and I really don't know if that has a lot of merit, but it, in what you're saying about even storing toxins in fat cells, and um, you know, is the fact that you have higher levels of body fat that you would retain more of those toxins? Yeah, I mean, I think so. You know, also, you know, with the work we do, you know, we do liposuction, so people sometimes will ask, you know, about what happens to those fat cells and how their body will respond. I mean, could there realistically be a point where you could do so much liposuction on a person who was already at a normal weight that you could actually reduce their body's ability to like synthesize or absorb fat soluble hormones or vitamins potentially? I mean, like you said, you know, those amount of cells are somewhat set at birth and then at puberty. So if you start really messing with your body's natural level of fat cell storage, um, is that going to then change the way that you interact with other processes in your body, like hormone production specifically, and even storage of things like nutrients? I would say yes. Um, how would those things be tested? You know, the thing that always kind of fascinates me is, it, would there be an ability to do certain types of these testing on people immediately before and after something like liposuction, where you were drastically reducing? I mean, like you said, there's billions of fat cells in the human body, and we're not taking out that many, but even subtle changes in things in the body can have a great impact. You know, so if you did normal weight people did a pretty aggressive amount of liposuction on them, could you test things, cholesterol levels, even you know, some of those more transient blood markers to see how their body was respond, responding at a hormonal level to that change in the ability to store and even assimilate some of these other things. Glad you brought that up. That's, that's another blind spot for me. I'm going to have to look that up for, uh, yeah. for the next couple of sessions. That is truly fascinating. Like it really is. It, it does so much. And we, we all, you know, I think we all just see it as a nuisance for so much of our lives. But when you, you know, start realizing how much it's doing in your body and even just like the thermal effect of being able to stay warm. I mean, mm. you know, there's a lot going on. That's all reliant on this kind of delicate balance of the, the fat being healthy, because then, like you said, once you get to, in this obese state where you have rampant insidious inflammations in this organ system that then is impacting everything else in the body, you know, it does kind of become the enemy. Then you have so much of this fat that has so much of a negative impact that's impacting your whole life in a really negative way on so many levels. Yeah, th this is all relatively new. I mean, I will say when I was in school for just my base nutrition and science stuff, like it was that classic 
information from the 90s and maybe earlier. So yeah, this this is really, really kind of me catching up on some stuff. Super fascinating. Go ahead, Don. Hey, Joe. Great, great, great talk. Um, uh, interesting uh, on this, um, you know, since I've been doing functional medicine for about 30 years now, I would say I was aware of this um, between 15 and 20 years ago. And I would teach it to clients and, 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 and you know, keep it in, in an algorithm, if you will, that, but how I learned it was that this um, aberrant signaling would occur uh, uh, above obese levels, at obese levels and above, say 30% body fat and above, where the aberrancy was. Normally, you're going to have normal cell signaling, you know, with receptors, hormonal receptors on fat cells. Uh, they need to do their, uh, their due diligence. But then you start to get this aberrant uh, pro-inflammatory, aberrant hormonal signaling um, uh, in the obese category. Um, I broke out my own theory on this, which was not so much the fat, um, looking at it from a evolutionary medicine perspective, that you know our ancestors and proto-ancestors uh, didn't exist in a in a um, in a obese state that. And because of evolution, we don't have the, uh, the signaling mechanisms to, to recognize increased body fat uh, on an evolutionary basis. Uh, what we do have is sarcopenic components. So I see this as, as, as the impact of relative sarcopenia. As the body fat increases, the signaling centers recognize, even without any loss, lean mass loss, relatively, it looks like the body is starving to death. And what we, and what we get are these short-term signals that should only occur in nature for short-term periods. You know, uh, increased metabolic drop, you know, basal, basal rate drop, all these things as a survival mechanism. The problem is in nature, 100,000 years ago, you died in three weeks. But now what we have is, is a continuum over decades. And so how I see it and how I put it forward is this is where the disease states come from. These aberrant disease states across the entire platform are increased because of this, because the body is staying in, a, in an alarm, an acute alarm situation for survival for years and decades. So for me, it's, it's a, uh, a consequence of relative sarco, uh, sarcopenia um, uh, to the increasing fat mass. What, what I like about what you said, and, and I just watched Chimp Empire, and I've been, a, I've been proselytizing people to watch that because it's fantastic. It's a four-part documentary uh, on Netflix right now. Uh, you're, I mean, you're exactly right in, in nature, the, the fact that our common ancestors to chimpanzees who have about 99% of our exact DNA was about 7 million years ago. And you look at the fact that even in their most complex societies, it's still feast or famine. It's like, wow, this tree is in full bloom. Like, let's go eat 8,000 calories because we're not going to probably eat again for a week. And so you're right. Those mechanisms just don't exist in us. I mean, the fact that more of us die from eating too much than too little is is new for the last 100 or 150 years. So it does make me wonder if from a more acute evolutionary standpoint, survival of the fittest, 
like if our bodies will adjust, like may, maybe in 500 or a thousand years, you know, we're well, never, never make it. <laughs> right? It's, it's going to take That's a long short of timeline. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the, the seven yeah. million years, we will not have another seven million years. I think uh, there's there is research now starting to come to the forefront, Don. That would um, that would continue to support that. It's it's all really quite a bit of a work in progress in terms of like mitochondrial healing cycles and what triggers them and what aborts them and things like that. Um, and uh, so you know that's that there's there's a lot um, there's a lot to what you say that that I think is is starting to finally get some more concrete evidence that supports that. I think another thing that is difficult to overlook is quality of nutrition because, you know, now on the SAD, you know, the standard American diet or the industrial diet, um, we also evolutionarily were not programmed to eat that. And so when we're eating whole intact real foods, um, that is what our body was designed to ingest and to break down and to assimilate um, and to utilize for appropriate repair and function. And um, so, you know, the it's not just simply the additive chemicals, many of which are all by themselves somewhat pro-inflammatory anyway, um, but also the, you know, the relative proportions. We're used to getting, for example, fructose in fruit. And in an intact piece of fruit, you can eat as much fruit as you want. And you're really not likely to harm your body in, in any way, shape, or form. It's hard to get fat eating nothing but apples. Um, it's, it's easy to get diarrhea, but probably not much more than that. Um, but, you know, it is, it is that the fructose is there as part of a natural food and, are, and is coupled with phytochemicals and fiber and antioxidants, you know, and, and many other nutrients, and they have an impact on how that's processed and digested in the in the gut. Um, one of the things I think is kind of fascinating is when we look at alcoholics. So I, always in nutritional consulting, especially at the holidays, there's this, how do I count my macros when I drink? You know, is it fat or is it a carb? I've always believed in the fat hypothesis because alcohol is um, you know is metabolized in a certain way by the liver and it's metabolized like a fat. But why are there so many skinny alcoholics? It's typically because most of their caloric intake comes from alcohol and not much in the way of food. Whereas when we eat a lot of fructose in terms of industrial products, high fructose corn syrup, we we can talk about how you know sugar is is not bad and um, many of the people that I respect in the insulin hypothesis make it very clear. Lustig Robert Lustig is one of them. Right in his book, he says, you know, a, an arguably somewhat obese three hundred and thirty pound lineman who's working out all day um, in football practice um, can drink all the Gatorade he wants. This is not going to harm this person's body, even with that level of obesity, because of the, the, the amount of lean body mass they're, they're carrying and because of the amount of activity involved. But when we are not like that, and I think Don makes a great point of relative sarcopenia, when we take in a lot of fructose and we don't take it in as fruit, um, we kind of get a big bolus of it into the liver and the liver will metabolize it like like alcohol. And if we have too much alcohol, we get fatty liver. If we have too much fructose, 
um, you know, in, in an abnormal kind of intake, we also get fatty liver and fatty liver predisposes to adiposity elsewhere in the diet by, excuse me, in the body by, by really impacting this whole endocrine access, the uh, axis, not access, X is a X I S um, because the, the liver is, is quite a bit of an endocrine gland in and of itself. And if we have a lot of fat coming into the diet, you know, that can be difficult too. But if we have a lot of fat and not much glucose, particularly fructose, we seem to be able to handle it. If we have a lot of fructose, but not a lot of fat and we're active, we seem to be able to handle it. Uh, that's why Kevin Brunacini can eat the donut and with, with all that sugar and all that fat, and it's not going to negatively impact him. But, but it's, you know, it's the ratios and the overload of um of abnormal types of food in the diet that our bodies are not uh, evolutionarily adapted for i think that is that is one of the underpinnings not the only one but i think it is it is one of the key underpinnings that leads us to obesity and once we have obesity we're kind of screwed right but but how do we get obesity we we actually start with a with an inflammatory situation typically in the liver and the surrounding um abdominal you know gut based body fat since that's most affected so it's it's a very interesting problem but i think don it really fits very well with with everything you have been considering reasonably um for the last couple of decades well uh, one thing i'd like to ask jen is I think the average lay person says, okay, inflammation, that sounds bad, anti-inflammation, good. But to try to understand what it actually is in the body at the cellular level, uh, even scientists will often kind of brush the question aside and say, well, it's just kind of stress. Think of it as stress to your body. Um, and, and even maybe like arteriosclerosis or atherosclerosis, you know, you get kind of this oxidation and the, the stickiness. So then, you know, you get heme being, you know, hit with free radicals and all of a sudden you have these plaques being created and, and you know, coating your arteries. Um, if you could explain it, like, like why would the state of being obese or by eating just a highly palatable processed bad food diet you know, cause inflammation? What does that do to my body? Why, how do I feel one day if I could magically transport myself from my highly inflammatory obese state to feeling like an amazing person without that? What would that difference be? Well, it's a curious question because we also do have the metabolically healthy obese, right? Mm -hmm. So they do exist. Um, and, you know, one of the, one of the new paradigms that uh, Dr. Hanscom and I talk about and, and all of our colleagues who are in this dynamic healing group talk about is that, um, you know, stress itself, psychological stress, um, societal stress, cultural stress, um, stressors in our environment that don't have to do with food are, are huge drivers of the inflammatory response and the inflammatory cascade. And so when you think about it, why were people more vulnerable to negative effects from, from COVID? Well, many of them had obesity, but that wasn't the only thing. How about asthma? Well, that's an inflammatory condition. That's an autoimmune process gone, gone wrong. 
diabetes, again, typically associated with an inflammatory process of, um, you know, of, uh, of obesity. Um, but what about um, the fact that there was people of color, um, people, um, you know, marginalized people, um, shift workers, um, you know, essential workers, not, not only were they exposed more, but the underpinnings of their life, if you live in in poverty or if you're in an unsafe situation or if you have uh, if you have PTSD and you already have you know a history of trauma. So so these stressors are encoded in our bodies as well. Um, and they are already activating inflammation. So if you have, say, a history of adverse childhood experiences, what do you think the odds are that you're going to have a higher risk of obesity no matter what you do? They're going so, to be greater because yeah, one, one of the it, things it's all I, tied together. Yeah, I skipped over that one chart where it kind of listed some of the cytokines and talked about pro and anti-inflammatory. And, and that's it's ironically, I'm coming back to it now, even though I said I want to skip it. I'll probably try to do a research review on that because I think for a lot of people, it could be helpful to really be able to see and name and visualize those mechanisms. So you, you said it perfectly, in my opinion, it, bringing the phrase back up, you know, signaling, inflammatory signaling. So you have even that, that um, not psychiatric, but just psychological thought that's high stress, you know, relating back to some trauma or maybe just an acute stress or the stress of eating something that is very pro-inflammatory and in these chemical messengers, again, these these chemical factors, these cytokines that are pro-inflammatory, they signal for, quote, you know, in a layman sense, bad things to happen. So creating, for example, um, histamine reactions, which is why if you have arthritis, you know, that joint may hurt more in, you know, after a really bad meal or you're having a bad, you know, the day after you had kind of an eating bender because these these chemical signals are driving this chemical pathway response. So it's not just as as I said a lot of people talk about like oh just think of it as bad or stress or inflammation. I I just think most people would do better with it if they knew exactly what's happening in my body because then I can say wow that's what I don't want to happen in my body. You know what I'm saying? Just that specificity. Yeah, and if you if your sympathetic nervous system is activated, and this is one of the things we talk a lot about in dynamic healing, if your sympathetic nervous system is activated and it doesn't matter what the source is, whether you have a, a job that you dislike, um, whether you've, you're suffering from PTSD, whether you have anxiety or worry, I mean, those things, we cannot control the unconscious effects that that does to our body's biochemistry. So thoughts all by themselves can induce an adrenaline type surge. So they activate the sympathetic nervous system. And with the activation of the sympathetic nervous system comes the natural um, protective response of inducing a couple of things. When you think of fight or flight, increased blood sugar, right? Because you want to be able to utilize that and uh, increased inflammatory markers and changes in blood flow, um, blood flow away from the from the brain and away from the guts and, and to other um, organ systems that are designed for fight or flight. And so so when you have that that milieu, you are you are 
in a pro-inflammatory state all by all by that mechanism alone. And so, you know, trying to um, understand our own um, mental, our cognitive responses to our own thoughts and circumstances goes a long way to changing the dynamic of inflammation in the body. And those things signal pain and they signal how, how this whole complex system allocates energy resources and everything else. That, that psych side is a whole big part of this. Um, hey, Joe. Yes, sir. I'm oh, done when you're done. I'll just no, no, go ahead. Oh, um, thank you. The, uh, the whole autonomic nervous system is, uh, is my dealio, um, um, you know, as an extension of functional neurology. Um, and, and so, incredibly important and, and poorly. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just finishing uh, two presentations for the new website. Um, and my, and uh, my whole area is trauma, um, uh, kind of expanding all that. So interesting. Um, you're talking about it, Jennifer. Um, and it's important to you. Uh, the, uh, I, I think in, it's really important to understand and to, and to teach also the aspect of inflammation and uh, pro-inflammation and free radicals, which are pretty much uh, as far as inflammatory cycling and uh, free radicals are on the same level, um, that uh, inflammation without free radicals and inflammations, they're also signaling, free radicals particularly are signaling, that yeah. uh, I, I, I often chide individuals on the aspect of, oh, just take as much vitamin C as possible. Well, if you shut down your free radicals, then you're dead. You know, because radicals are unbelievably important in, in cell signaling, right? Uh, in the same way with inflammation. So the aspect is, is that we always have a, a level of systemic inflammation that's absolutely vital. Um, without it, we'd be dead. Um, and so uh, the problem in the pro-inflammatory state is the excitation or up-leveling of the inflammatory threshold, right? So you know, that's incredibly, incredibly important. One of the things, of course, you know, there's multiple pathways of inflammation from arachidonic acids, other uh, uh, inflammatory pathways. Um, and the when we get to, uh, you know, I love uh, the the conversation as to uh, psychophysical stress, you know, you know, on the quote unquote stress axis, is that as Jennifer said the impact of adrenaline, epinephrine, norepinephrine, norepinephrine is the stimulation of uh, glucose is released, you know, from glucagon. But the, the true devil is, is uh, insulin. Insulin is one of the most pro-inflammatory molecules in the body. And right. so a normal stress response, uh, everything's good. You know, it's what's supposed to happen. Go and exercise. You've got a, you got a, you got a sympathetic uh, uplift, right? The parasympathetic downshift. Uh, you go eat, you got a parasympathetic up, parasympathetic upshift, uh, hopefully. Um, so the, the aspect is, 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 is the, is the base that the individual is. And this is what adds in is the person obese, uh, their food components, all the other parameters. Well, as you said, uh, you know, the milieu, uh, of, uh, uh, of it all, but the, um, uh, it's, it is such a complex component. The, the, uh, important. Com I, I like what Jennifer said. Uh, I teach it. I work with uh, uh, with clients uh, all the time with this is stabilizing that autonomic nervous system. I call the primary regulatory platform of body and brain by by far. It is that, you know, from uh, from gene expression 
uh, all the way up to mental health components and everything in between, even cancer. Uh, so, um, and there we are into, uh, you know, the, again, the inflammatory state. And just one last thing. 20 years ago, it was uh, the kind of the algorithm, you know, first, first part of the, 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 the algorithm, if you will, diagnostic algorithm or, 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 or tree is, you know, uh, suspect inflammation first, you know. Um, then it changed to, uh, and, and to, a, to a great degree, I believe it's, it still is there, uh, uh, you know, autoimmunity first until proved otherwise. Because um, within autoimmunity, right, you have, you have inflammatory autoimmunity mm-hmm. and numeral, right? So even right. there, you have the inflammatory aberrations caused by, you know, caused by uh, the, that system. So, um, yeah, that was really great. Uh, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, we'll, I think we'll, it sounds like John, Don and I are just co- completely uh, on, on a lot of the same page. Joe, does this, a lot of this sound familiar as to the results of our conversation yesterday? Yeah. And, you know, what I think of with what Don just said is, you know, the fact that we need cortisol, we need insulin, we yeah. need some levels of inflammation. It's a balance. It is that desensitization and, and why they're causing systemic inflammation and obesity's driving cause of it. Uh, an issue is because of the desensitization of receptor sites and the threshold changes. And that's why they call it now just low grade chronic inflammation. Be being obese is creating that low-grade chronic inflammation. So it does move the goalpost to Don's point. Yeah, and the metabolically healthy obese may have a lot of different profiles for the other sources of inflammation in their body. So they may be lower than average in other sources of pro-inflammatory factors. Um, Don, one quick thing. Um have you have you read any of the work of Robert Navio in the mitochondrial healing cycle? Um, no. Let me just put this name in the chat. Yeah, sure. I, I'm, I'm writing that down as well. I remember you talked about that in our, I think one of our nutrition coaching global masterminds. He, yeah, um, yeah, and people could look at that NCGM on anti-inflammatory nutrition. We covered a lot of this, but Robert Navio has a new paradigm um, of the mitochondrial. I looked that up when you told me last time, and then I, I... healing yeah. cycle. Um, so put that in there. Um, if you want, I might be able to get like a good title here for a paper. If you want to hold on for one minute and have me look. Yeah, Kevin, sure. any thoughts on your end? There's nothing I can do that will give justice to what Don and Jen has said. I'm just profound by the by the insights. Um, it's I can't say it's. <laughs> I I learned of 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 fat being metabolically active in my masters, so it yeah, that certainly set the stage. But I didn't really appreciate it until applying it more to myself and understanding how you know going through my weight loss process and all that, and learning more, especially with just. I'll just use autoimmune diseases as an umbrella for a catch-all for the time being, but it's it makes sense in the sense of just the mechanics and what's what's involved, how it's involved. But I, I, it's refreshing. Not that I'm surprised to hear it from Jen, but it's refreshing to hear it from Don that there is a threshold. Obviously, there's context, always context, but there is that threshold because you know who's to say I was uh, knocking on that threshold myself 
at 300 pounds be at a, and who knows how, how long I could have, have dealt with things without any further symptoms or any symptoms for that matter. I don't know. Um, but you know, that's, that's where you get that. You get people who will, it's kind of a different example in a way, but those that smoke that don't get lung cancer, but those that do get mm-hmm. lung cancer that don't smoke. So there's, there's clearly a lot of, a lot of variables at play, but there is a threshold ultimately that, you know, where does it cross? When does it cross and compound upon other things? And it just opens the whole door of just fascination and all these medical concepts. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's just profound to learn about. Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing some more uh, specific looking into inflammation, as I said, as we move forward. And Jen, um, obviously, I'm doing this as a dual purpose because I really want to understand more and contribute to uh, David's work in in a more robust way. So, yeah. uh, So, you know, um, if so, Don and Joe and Kevin and anybody else who might be interested, this is heavy duty stuff. Dr. Navio's paper, completely fascinating. Um, so it's a new paradigm for, um, for healing. Um, and I've put it in the chat mm-hmm. and, um, if you can't find the paper or access it, um, because I love you all and we all have the right purposes in mind here. Um, I think, I think Dr. Navia would be okay with me sharing with sharing it rather than you having to pay Elsevier for it. Oh, gotcha. Oh, that's good. Thank you. Oh, I do hate those paywalls with research. <laughs> I do. Hate yeah. Those. Yeah. I know. I try to find when I can, I try to find ones that don't have yeah. um, copyright, you know, restrictions and things like that. So I can share them. Uh, and, so there, and there's an awful lot of really good open source activity out there now, fortunately, this may be, I'm not even sure, but um, this is the kind of stuff that we discuss in the dynamic healing group. That's nice. Yeah. I'm looking forward to getting into that as well. Well, I'm going to let you guys go. I appreciate that you contributed so much more to this than I knew I could. So that was fantastic that you could make it. And our next couple research reviews, we're going to go down some tighter uh, rabbit holes when it comes to the mechanisms of inflammation and some of the things that nutrition alone and movement, we want to talk about exercise, that's a big part, can uh, can do in terms of ill and pro-health. Yeah. Well, the, one of the things for me is that the positive changes in how FDI is working um, and how I can connect in and plan on scheduling these things is um, is wonderful for me because I've wanted to be able to be part of these. Um, and it's it's just it's totally facilitated my ability um, to do that with a, with a lot more consistency. And, I, you know, I'm learning a lot as well. So I'm not just simply um, I'm, I'm not just simply spewing. I'm also consuming quite a bit. You guys are I'm, I'm, I'm getting intellectual adiposity. You guys are my Avengers here, so I appreciate you being here for sure. All and, right. Uh, you as well, Lainey. I know you didn't jump in and talk except in the chat, but it was incredibly awesome to see your name and just know you're here. So thank you for that. Are you going to jump you in? Guys. Right. I was just going to say thank you. Um, you are welcome. Thank you. You guys have a great weekend, and I will see you next week. Thanks. Thank you so much.